morning, New City Church. Glad that you're here, and, and, and uh, good morning to everybody uh, watching online. It's, it's bitter cold, I know. Um, I, I do think we should give special recognition to, we had a couple guys on the roof shoveling snow from the roof. So can we give uh, Aaron and Grant and uh, I think Chad Brooks help, so thank you guys to that. We're, I, I'm, I'm super grateful because I, I, it, was, it was less than a year ago we were told we couldn't have a service because the, the, uh, the parking lot at, at Rock Creek w- wouldn't get be shoveled on time. I just remember being so frustrated. And so I'm very grateful to have a warm building we can gather in around the word. Obviously, don't ever come out if it's not safe or whatever. But if you can, we'd love for you to be here so that we can enjoy your company, enjoy, enjoy your fellowship. And also, the cold brings out people that we didn't expect and haven't seen in a while. So Stephen and Ellen Moore and their kids are here. Do you remember them from Ballard Creek? So we're not, yeah, give them a round of applause. So we're not happy that you can't have service, but we always love having you guys. So it's making the best uh, of, a, of a situation. And then uh, Kara Gorham is here. She, uh, she came through New City. She got baptized here. She was part of our youth ministry. Now she's doing a campus ministry. They weren't able to make it to the Des Moines church, and they live right nearby. So Kara is here with her fiance, and she brought some of her uh, friends as well. So uh, welcome, Kara. Awesome, awesome to have you guys here, uh, just if only just for this Sunday. So, okay, well, let's get into it. We're in the book of Joshua. You can turn to Joshua chapter 23 if, if uh, you have a Bible or a device. So we're around in the corner here. Uh, next, next week will be our last uh, uh, sermon in the series, and we'll tackle Joshua 24 then. Um, so um, you've seen this graphic uh, many times if you've been with us through this series. Most of the book of Joshua is about these two things. It talks about the battles coming into the promised land, and then it spends even more time talking about who gets what piece of ground. There's this odd section at, at the very beginning that we covered early, which is as they enter, they, they, um, they, they sort of, uh, they, they stop and worship and they have some religious practices. They, they get circumcised. Um, they, ha- they, they build an altar. That happens in the beginning. They, they, right away, this, we, we know in this book, the people of God are a peculiar people. They still are, by the way. Um, and then, and then where the, the, the only other kind of big section is that the book sort of starts and ends with these, these addresses. Uh, God has one in the beginning, and he'll have one in chapter 4. And then in chapter 23, um, what we're going to talk about today, this is Joshua's farewell address. Now, if you have been with us or you know the book a little bit, Joshua is a man of few words. And oftentimes when he speaks, he's, he's more of an action man. He's more of a fighter. He's a warrior. And oftentimes when he speaks, he's just repeating the things that God has, has told him. But this appears to be, these are words from God, they're in our Bible, but this appears to be his take on everything that's happened. He's about to die, and he's talking to Israel, and he's telling them what, what he thinks. And so, so just so you know where we are, this is after the river has been crossed, the major battles have been won, and the lands have all been divvied out. That's all done. And now, now their leader is about to die, and he's going to, give, he's going to give his assessment of where they're at. The only thing you ought to know is the, 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 those show up in big blocks of color on the map, but there are still some Canaanites in the land. They, 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 they drove out many, many Canaanites, um, pagan worshipers, but there are still a few in the land, and this is a huge concern to Joshua at the end. So I'm interested because I've loved this book. It's really challenging me. I'm interested in, in the character of Joshua also. Um, he's, a, he's a great model for a leader. I really want to hear what he has to say. So let's listen in to God's word this morning. He's going he's gonna to highlight three things. Uh, the first thing he's going to talk about is kind of a uh, greatest hits, Joshua greatest hits. Not his greatest hits, but the, the, the great things that God has done. He's going to review those. So greatest hits is the first one. He's going to talk about his biggest fear before he dies, his biggest fear, and then the one thing he is certain of. So the greatest hits 
the uh, biggest fear and his one certainty. That's how we'll tackle it this morning. Uh, Let's pray and we'll open up to Joshua 23. Lord, thank you again. Thank you that we could gather here. Um, We we are grateful. And we pray for our brothers. Uh, I've met uh, several uh, people that I know in Ankeny and in our Engage network just couldn't meet today because they're in rental facilities, God. But you have a a way of of overcoming those sorts of things, God. And even sometimes strange Sundays like this can be a huge blessing. So I pray you'd bless the churches, Lord. Bless us today. We're turning to your word as as, as we do every week. And we're asking for help, Lord. We know these are old words written down many, many years ago, but they are also living and breathing and active and alive for us today. Um, So help us to hear what you would have in this word. Keep us safe, God. I do pray for people driving uh, here and back home, Lord. Just uh, pray for the cars to start and everything like that. Thank you for everything you give us. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. All right, Joshua chapter 23. We're gonna do the whole chapter. A long time afterward... When the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes, those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I've already cut off, from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you a great and strong nations, a great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. And now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given you. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so um, Joshua at this point is 110 years old and he says it a couple times. He says, I'm an old man. Uh, I'm about to die. I'm about to go the way of all of the earth. Um, And he, he starts reviewing the things that God has done among them. Um, and uh, let's see. I don't know if I have all my slides today, Nathan. 
I'm missing my first slide. That's all right. We can improvise. Okay. Um, so uh, one of the things he does in the very first, I would show it to you, but I, don't, I can't see it. I don't know where it is. Uh, one of the things that he does in the, very, uh, in the very beginning of this is he says all the things that God has done for you. And, and if you notice, he did it past, present, and future. God has driven out all of these nations. He is helping you and helping you conquer the land, and he will drive out in the future all these nations. And at some point he says, one of you stands up against a thousand and the thousand flee. So again and again, Joshua, he's a military man, he's repeating the military victories, the good things that God brought about, the victories that he brought about. And he uses that one in a thousand comparison. To use an analogy, it's like Israel came into this, this to conquer this nation, and they thought they would be in for a dogfight. They thought this is going to be rough. These nations are stronger than us. They have iron chariots. They're going to beat us. And what it actually, to give you a picture, what it actually ended up being is like a dog sheep fight. Which means one, one single dog can basically make a whole flock of sheep flee. And that's essentially what God did. He said, that's you. One of you can, it has all the power in the world to demolish a thousand men. That's how I've worked uh, among you. We actually see this, this kind of idea fulfilled later in the next book in your Bible, in the book of Judges, with Samson. Do you remember the story where Samson grabs a donkey jawbone from the sand and there's a thousand men and he fights a thousand men? It's as close to a superhero story as you have in your Bible. But it's a picture of what God has done in their midst. He says, look what I've done. You guys conquered them. You came in and it was nothing. It was nothing to you. We, we lost next to no men. So if, if you're sort of counting by the numbers, the, it's kind of Joshua's greatest hits. In, in the time that the people of Israel have been in the promised land, they have seen three unbelievable miracles. The river parted, the walls of Jericho fell down, and one time Joshua told the sun to stay up in the sky, and it did. We've, seen, we've heard the record of at least 31 kings in the, in the promised land that Joshua himself or the armies have called. All throughout this book, anytime God does something amazing, uh, they usually uh, gather and make a monument or a pile of stones to remember what, what God did. There's eight of these already that we've counted, and there's a ninth one coming in chapter 24. And now we have 12 different territories. Everyone has their home. Everyone has their assignment. There are still Canaanites in their midst. But God did all that in about seven years. Drove everyone out, fought for you, gave you the land. You remember at each spot what God did. And now they're here. And the emphasis in the very first verse, it says this, the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies. I've said during this series the book has a lot of battles. It's, there's a lot of war in this book, but it's not about war and violence. It's actually about rest. The, 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 the Canaanites were occupying a place and they wouldn't move and they were dishonoring God and God wanted his people to be in their land and to have rest. And at this farewell address, Joshua is saying, you have it. You have it. God gave it to you. And he did all those things, the miracles, the battles, the victories, those all came from the Lord. So those are, Joshua does it in very in brief, but that's kind of his greatest hits. But I want to I spend a bulk of our time on his biggest fear. So this might surprise you, his biggest fear. Let's look at it. He, he mentions it twice. He says, there's still Canaanites living in the land. And he says, you may not mix with these nations remaining among you. And then he says, if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations, or in other words, what's left of them, remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate them with them and they with you. So it might surprise you 
Joshua's main concern as he's about to die is intermarriage. This speech is just as much about that as it is almost about anything else. He's really concerned with intermarriage. And this is maybe another junction where we're, we're in the Old Testament and you might say, oh, here comes that old-fashioned Bible again, not very culturally hip. Intermarriage, uh, the, to, to be against intermarriage would be to be um, very uh, much a Luddite and not, not progressive at all. Um, but let me explain uh, Joshua's big burden here. What, what his burden is not is, has anything to do with race. He doesn't have any problem, and God doesn't have any problem with the race of Canaanites. To prove that, I can point to Exhibit A, which is Rahab herself is a Canaanite, um, and she was not only spared, but she would eventually, God ordained it that she would be saved so that she would be in the genealogy of Jesus Christ himself. So God does not have a problem with the race of the Canaanites. If, if Jesus did a 23andMe, he would have Canaanite ancestors, okay? So it's not about race. It's not it's for the problem is not, uh, with intermarriage, is not about race. So what is the problem? The problem is this. He is, Joshua and the Lord himself do not want the Israelites to marry Canaanites because the Canaanites worship Canaanite gods. And we've talked in a little bit of detail. These are probably the most popular or familiar ones if, if you know your Bible. Um, so, so here's the scenario. You, 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 you're in a tribe of Israel. You've just moved into the promised land and you have Canaanite neighbors, okay? Um, well, you worship God and they worship Canaan. And for modern people, we're like, great, that's good. That's a good neighborhood, actually. There's a lot of diversity of views in that neighborhood, right? So far, so good. Our, it, it, that, that warms our modern sensibilities. We love cross-cultural, right? And, and cross-religion, too. Well, here's your problem. Your religion has, a, has an ethic, like a, like a strict one. Um, and even maybe a good example would be your religion has a sexual ethic. Like you are supposed, sex is reserved for uh, a marriage, a committed covenant marriage. But here's your problem. Your neighbor does not have the same ethic because he worships those gods. And in fact, part of your neighbor's worship is um, sexual freedom. There are temple prostitutes available for the, the, the Canaanites, right? So now here's God's fear and here's Joshua's fear. How long does it take for Israel to, to, to just kind of look across the fence at the neighbors and what they do and say, I wonder if there's not something to this Baal worship. I wonder if, the, I wonder if maybe they're onto something. I'll give you a, a much more uh, plain example. You're, uh, you're at a bar, backyard barbecue 3,500 years ago, if they had them. I, don't, I doubt they did. But you're at a backyard barbecue in the land, uh, in the promised land, and they're making bacon and hot dogs, and pork burgers, and you have a, a, a food ethic, and you don't quite understand why God said you couldn't eat pigs, but you could eat cows, and it's not another, another 1,500 years before God would say, ah, go ahead, and you can eat it all, right? And you don't understand how, 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 much, how much time would have to pass before you say, you smell that bacon coming from over the fence, and you say, I wonder if there's not something to this Canaanite religion, Right? My religion has 613 laws, and, and so much is required of me. Not only that, it has a viewpoint that, that it calls me a sinner. That's not how their religion worked. Their religion was like, do what you want. We don't have an ethic. Just don't make the gods mad. Sometimes you got to burn an animal or a son to make them happy. That's the cost of entrance. But like, you can do whatever you want. Now, if you were swimming in that pool... How, how long would it take for you to start adopting those things? That's his, that's his fear. He says, now remember, if you live among them, they're going to 
tempt you. And so he gives them a couple, a few protections. Here's the first one he says. So it's hard to live in a culture where everybody else can do what they want and you have this, these rules, this thing that God has called you to do. So here's the first thing he says. Be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right nor to the left. This is classic Joshua. We've talked about this over and over again. Joshua always points us back to God's word and God always encourages Joshua. That's just the tone of their relationship, always. The, 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 the word I would highlight there is he says, be strong uh, in the word. Now, we've seen this word before. Um, at the very beginning, uh, God was telling Israel, right before they're gonna do all these battles and conquer this land, be strong and courageous, be strong and very courageous. And when you, when you say those words before a battle, it's kind of a pep talk. It's like, be brave. You're gonna have to fight. You're gonna have to be valiant, right? But the word strong actually means to tie fast or to bind, stick, stick yourself to something. It's the same word that he used in chapter one. He's using all the way up to here. So what is he saying? He's saying be strong in the word. What exactly does that mean? He's saying bind yourself to this. Attach yourself to it. Like, like some kind of compound that, that when you glue wood or, or when, you, when, you, when you put metals together, the idea is you're not going to tease them back out later on. Bind this to yourself. And he even says, don't let, don't let it stray from your right hand or your left. Um, so the protection number one is, is keep the word. I, I doubt this is literally what he means, but you know, we, 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 we are supposed to go through life trusting this word and believing it, clinging to it like this, but our posture can sometimes get lax, or maybe you even have an uh, environment where you come in like this. It's like, yes, I'm a Christian, but I'm not going to tell you or show you anything about it, and I'm just going to try to act like you guys so I don't, I don't make much of a mess. He says, cling to this word. You have to bind yourself to it. That's one way that will protect you when you're looking across the fence and you're tempted to do what they're doing Bind yourself to this. Remember the words that I have told you. Remember my faithfulness. Because in this book is a, is a story of God's faithfulness. Also, in this book says you're not supposed to intermarry. That's in Deuteronomy 7.1. So right at, right at the beginning, the first protection is he's nervous that they're, that they're gonna start intermarrying with the Canaanites, that they're gonna start looking like Canaanites. And he says, here's the first thing you need to do. Bind yourself to this. We are a peculiar people. And they were back then too. When the neighbors are having bacon, <laughs> when, when the neighbors are doing whatever they want sexually, we, we were called to something different. The people who follow Jesus are different. So keep the word as his first protection. Here's his second one. But you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. So different word, but sort of a similar idea. Cling to, bind yourself to. And, and he, he goes on to describe what that would not look like. Um, so clinging means don't um, mix with these people. Don't make mention of the names of their gods. Don't swear by their gods. Don't serve them. And definitely don't bow down to them. So there's a little progression down there uh, th through, through those five. You know, don't, don't associate. Don't even, don't even speak them, right? And then it gets more intense. Like when you swear you're making an oath on something, don't serve it or, or be enslaved to those gods. And then the last one is just worship, full-hearted worship. So cling to God. Do not cling to these things. Things. Now, was Joshua right to be worried? Let's look. Let's, let's, let's go to the replay and see how, how well did Israel do with this command? What would happen if they did start, did start disobeying? Okay, so Joshua, Joshua 23, I'm about dead. He's giving this address. He dies. You're going to turn four chapters in your Bible. So not very far from here. 
And then it says this. So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And their daughters they took to themselves for wives, and their own daughters they gave to their sons, and they served their gods. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God, and they served the Baals and the Ashereth. Joshua is not buried in the ground very long, and you can hear him yelling, See? I told you, it wasn't even the next generation. I mean, the, 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 he, was, he had just died. He had, he had just given this address. Do not, I'm warning you, do not. Bind yourself to the word, cling to God. And they start marrying. He told them, don't even mention the name of, 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 the, of the Canaanite gods. Look how they did with this. These are kind of buried in, 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 in uh, First Chronicles. But it's, it's the genealogies of Saul, the first king of Israel, and his son, Jonathan. Do you know what they were naming their kids? Esh Baal. Baal is the main god in the Canaanite religion. So, so Joshua in his final address is saying, don't even say their names. And when the baby boy was born to Saul and his wife, they said, let's name him Ishbaal, which means man of Baal. Ishbosheth is how, we, how it's generally said in the Bible, but he was named Eshbaal. And then Jonathan, who was David's best friend, and you know a lot about him as you read later on, he had a, a, a son named Meribaal which means I, I think uh, Baal is my advocate. So, so forget about not mentioning. I mean, if you thought Maribel was a cute like dog name, if you're getting a puppy this, this winter, don't do it. Do, pick, a, pick a, name it Joshua. That would be a better name, right? <laughs> but only to say Joshua was pleading, don't even, don't even speak their names. And, and, and the king and prince of Israel are naming their children. That's how far this had got, gone south in just a few generations. And then last one, I've, I've shown you this verse before. This is a little bit later, describing Israel. They abandoned all the commandments of the Lord their God. They made for themselves metal images of two calves. They made an Asherah and worshiped all the hosts of heaven and served Baal. They burned their sons and their daughters as offerings and used divination and omens and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Joshua has warned about all of these. If you start associating these people, you will start looking like these people. And it happened. It happened and they lost the land. So the second protection is cling to God. That, that one ends with, with a little bit of a warning. If you don't, you will end up clinging to these things, a snare, a trap, a whip, thorns. Imagine embracing and holding on tight to thorns and a trap, the very thing that's supposed to kill you. That's his comparison. You can either cling to God or you will cling to these things that are made to kill you, made to bait and ensnare and eventually kill you. So he calls us to cling to um, God. And then the final one is, is probably very related. He says this, be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. And there's, a, there's a, a bounty written on this um, all over the Bible. He says the same thing that Moses told Israel, that Jesus told Israel is the most important thing that they could do, which is love God. So I think we can sympathize. It's really hard to live in a place where everybody else is doing wrong and you're supposed to do right. Nobody else is following God, but you're supposed to, do, to follow God. But here he's given them these things. If you cling to the word, if you cling to God, if you really love God, he will provide the victory. He will bring you through it. Here's the application. Uh, you live in Canaan is the application. You live in a very similar situation. We're not sacrificing our sons and daughters because we think that will appease uh, our gods. We're not quite that far gone. But let me ask you, this is the water you're swimming in. 
How would you characterize the sexual ethic of our day? (laughs) Does it line up with this? Or is it pretty close to what it was? There's some rules. It's not anything goes. But what is the sexual ethic of our culture? It's, It's most anything goes. Do what you want. And we're living right across the street from people who have that as the ethic. What is uh, the money ethic uh, in, in our culture? What is the ethic with money? Do you feel like Ankeny's a town where it's like it's, it prizes being uh, conservative and frugal and generous? Or do we live in kind of a spend what you want? If you spend it, got it type of thing. Yeah, that's, I would say that's our culture. Nobody cares. Do what you want. Nobody's, there's, no, there's no rule that you're breaking if you, if you use your money this way or that way. Um, how, what, what is our culture's uh, idea of how we should view ourselves? What is that? I would say, I would characterize it as, as positively as possible. You, must, you should build your self-view up to the point where you are unstoppable, you are fierce, you cannot be broken, right? That's our culture is big on that. You need to have an elevated view of yourself. Well, that ain't in here, <laughs> Like at all, it ain't here. <laughs> You're made in his image and it's beautiful and he redeems you and that's beautiful and we'll get to that towards the end, but uh, you aren't unbreakable. <laughs> you're, you're a sinner. <laughs> you're, you're, you're wicked. You, you've been selfish from the, from the moment you were born, right? So, so we, are, we, are, we are experiencing in different details, but almost the exact same thing. In, we are, we're in Canaan. We are swimming in this water and it's hard it's hard to toe the line because you look across the fence and it's like, well, jeez, why, why can't I do that? Think, think about the sins that you struggle with and think about how the, how the community around you has helped you, sin that, has helped you sin in that way. If you're a gossip, let's say you struggle with gossip. I got a hunch. I bet you know some other gossipers. Am, is that right? <laughs> do you know some other people, like a community of gossipers that you can kind of go to? Um, if you drink, I have a hunch. I bet you know other people who drink too. Maybe you, maybe you sin alone in the dark, right? But I bet you, you have these other people. Are you busy? Is busyness your thing? Like time management, just kind of getting sucked into the world. I bet you know other busy people. I bet you mostly only know busy people. That's all, you couldn't name a not busy person, except maybe if you have a kid or something. They're, you know, they're five and they don't have stuff to do, right? We, we, we oftentimes adopt the sins of the water that we're swimming in. If, if it's okay for the people around us to do it, then we, then we do it. That's, that's, that's a lot of times how we build up our ethic. Think of, think of the sin that besets you, the thing that's really hard for you. I bet you, this is like a, it's like a reverse mentor. I bet you had somebody that helped you get into that, that taught you that it was okay to do that, that, that maybe encouraged you to do that, or a group of friends. That, 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 it's not a small group question, like who was your reverse mentor, but think about how other people and their influence and what they think and what they're okay with has caused you to do all kinds of bad things. That's what he's worried about. If, this was, if, if you were all church people 70 years ago, not one of you would even dream of mowing your yard on a Sunday. You wouldn't dream of it. Because in that culture, that was, we, they were all swimming in that water where the Sunday was a Sabbath, and, and it, that just has evaporated. If you showed, uh, whatever the last movie or two movies you watched, if you showed that to a person from 100 years ago, you show them the movie, like the language and the stuff that happens in that movie, and, and, and you said, and, and I'm a Christian, they would say, 
No, you're not. <laughs> this, is, this is your entertainment, right? The standard moves all the time. Pick your thing. What, what you wear, what's acceptable uh, for, for people to wear. It's all changed. And we all adopt our ethic because it's just the things that we're around. And Joshua says, don't do that. Don't do that. Start with this. Cling to this. Love God. And then all your ethic, all your, all your actions come out of, come out of that. One other uh, practical a- application here is, is the unequally yoked idea that comes up, up again in the New Testament. So in general, we get the picture. We're living in Canaan today. We need to, it's hard to be a Christian today. We, there's a few things God's given us, his love and his book, right? But there's also the literal application of this, which is, which is we are called to, to not marry people who are not Christians. And again, this is where I sound like the fuddy-duddy conservative pastor, especially if you're like a teenager and you, you, there's a boy that you like and he's not quite a Christian, but he's really nice, right? There's a passage in the Bible that says you should not be unequally yoked. Meaning that if, if the most important thing to you in all the world is God, why would you make the, the, the biggest vow you'll ever take with a person who does not believe in that and does not care for that? It's like two oxen who are yoked together, but one of them is pulling in the opposite direction. It puts more weight on the ox that's trying to go the right direction. Now, why, why do we have that? Well, that shows up again in the New Testament. So that's, that's going to be the dating rules in the Beecher house when we get there, probably in a decade or so, but um, <laughs> no offense, no offense. He's a good looking kid. He'll do all right. Um, right. That's, that's going to be my rule. And maybe I'll have a kid that says you're a fuddy-duddy and you shouldn't, that, that's so old fashioned. And, and shouldn't we look for multi-religious, multicultural? Isn't there something beautiful? No, no, because how long are you going to endure when, you, when your spouse is, when you're saying we need to go to church, and your spouse is like, eh, What are you doing with your money? What are you doing with your Wednesday night? Why are you doing this? What are you doing with the kids? How long will you endure? How long are you going to push that sled before you're like, you know what? I can't do it. It's too heavy. I can't do it. There's a reason for it. We adopt the sins of the people around us, don't we? We just do. So that's the bad news. Let's let's turn and look to Joshua's uh, certainty. And I'll just read this, this this whole piece. And now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. This whole paragraph is full of certainty. So the first one is I'm going to die. That's a cool way to say I'm about to die, ain't it? David also says it this way. I'm about to go the way of all the earth. I just think that's cool. That's no, no, nothing spiritual about it. I just think that's really cool. Okay. I'm I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Uh, David would say that years later. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. So he's saying, you all were here. You were witnesses. You saw the sun stand still. You saw the walls fall down. You know every single thing he told us is true. And he even invokes, in your heart and your soul, you know it. You've seen it. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But... Just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given to you. So he's saying, he's, this is, the paragraph is full of certainties. I'm gonna die. Everybody dies, I'm about to die. 
You know what you saw. You know God never fails. And then this is how he ends his farewell address. It's not a benediction means a good word. Usually you end on a high note. I'm going to try to. I'm going I'm to do what Joshua didn't. This is a malediction. It's the final thing he says is a warning. It's, it's, it's something bad could happen. He, 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 he takes one more jump uh, like in, in the logic of God. He says, listen, if God was true to do all the good things that he promised to you, if he never failed to deliver one of the good things he promised to you, do you think he will fail to punish the things he has warned against? He's taking his logic from here. He promised us good things, land and victory and freedom. He also said, do not become a Canaanite. Do not worship these other gods. Do not intermarry with these people. They will, they will drag you down. He's saying, if you can trust him over here in the benediction, in the good things, Joshua always trusts God's word. You can trust that he will deliver the consequences of the, the, the evil that you're, that you're going to do when you inter, intermarry. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an idea that maybe doesn't sit well with us, but it's, it's the idea that God's good promises are just as valid as his threats. That hell is just as real as heaven. We would love one or the other. We, we would love like, oh, you can know that God loves you and he cares for you and the judgment stuff... We're just not gonna, we're not gonna touch that. But Joshua here is warning them. No, he's always true to his word. God will always do what he's gonna do. And if you disobey, if you stray from him, he's going to punish you. If you adopt all these practices, he's faithful in his judgment and his grace. In other words, to, to, to bring it down to our level, he's a good father. You, you, you maybe know a dad or a parent who does one or the other. It's always grace with their kid and it's never judgment. You know what that's called? spoiling, right? Or you might know another kind of parent who it's always judgment. It's never, never good enough. And there's never grace or love. You know what that's called? It's withholding. It's cruel. God does both perfectly. He's perfectly gracious and perfectly just. And Joshua is saying, he will deliver on both of those. I promise you, I've never seen him not do what he's going to do. So where's the, where's the good news in this? Three times Joshua said, you're going to die outside of this land. This thing he promised you, he's going to take it away from you. So where's the good news? It's, it's actually, I think, in, a, in an unsuspected place. It talks about the anger of the Lord. Uh, it says, the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land. We've, we've talked about some Hebrew words. Hebrew is a very picturesque language. It probably wouldn't surprise you that anger of the Lord will be kindled. If the, the, the word can literally mean fire, a burning rage. But what's interesting about this, the, the last thing that he kind of says in, in this address is, up to this point, he has not talked about how God has felt uh, at one time. God has done these good things. God will uh, do these bad things if you disobey. He hasn't told us how, what, how, what God, how God feels about it or what God thinks about it at all. It's just God is judge. He can be trusted on to judge justly. And at the end here, he tells us how he would feel about it. And, and do you see it? He's angry. It says he's angry and you shall perish quickly. So if, when, when God's angry with you, you don't last long. In other words, right? Like if his judgment comes, it will, it will cause him to be wrathful and the judgment will come quickly. Well, how is that good news? Well, in the first place, it's not, it's not good news if it happens. If you become a Canaanite, if you don't cling to his word, if you don't, if you don't love God, there's a real consequence for it and he will be faithful to deliver that consequence. Why is he angry? Why isn't he just dispassionate? 
Why does he care if his people worship him or worship the other gods? There's only one thing I can conclude. It's because he loves them. He's not neutral about who you worship and what you do and who you follow. He doesn't want you to become like your culture. He's rooting for you to not be. He actually wants to transform you into something different. He doesn't want you to just like willpower your way through a sinful culture. He wants to change you and bring about the image of his very son in you. And so even at this malediction, this like, geez, Joshua, this, you know, it's, it's live or die. It's, it's wrath or grace, right? There's a little hint of the gospel, even right there. He's angry when we sin because he loves us. Now we've, we've talked this whole time and we've talked about our culture and how we sin and how rough it is. I want to, I want to, I want to pass through this one more time through the lens of Jesus. We talked about the greatest hits uh, that God delivered. When Jesus comes to earth, he fights for us. He fights the battles, that, that, that he, he, utter victory. 5,000 people is nothing for him to feed. Uh, a storm on the seas is nothing for him to calm. He talks to the wind and it listens. Just like Joshua talked to the sun and it stopped. Victory after victory. And our biggest fear, again, is lived, uh, Joshua's biggest fear, again, is lived out in Jesus' life. Jesus called his people to be a peculiar people. He called them out. He called them out of their sin. Even the ones in the dregs, the ones that other people said, they're too sinful for us to interact with. Jesus called them out and said, no, you're going to be different. You're going to repent of your sin. And he will keep every word of his promise. But the difference, that, the difference of the Jesus story from the Joshua story is this. Joshua is warning his people, the wrath is coming. Do not do this. Do not fail. Please do not intermarry. Do not mix with the Canaanites. But on the cross, Jesus Christ actually took the wrath of God. That provision is not here in Joshua 23. It's basically, don't do it. Don't push the button. And in the gospel, because we always push the button anyways, we always get kicked out of Eden. The apple always looks too good. We always adopt the sins around us because God knows that's our weakness. He sends his son to die on the cross. And then Jesus, instead of you, feels that anger, the wrath of God to the point where he cries out, why have you forsaken me? The perfect son, why have you forsaken me? And that's where the beginning of the good news is is that that wrath was headed right to you, right to each one of us, because you look like your neighbors, too much like your neighbors. God knew that though, and he sent his son because the wrath needed to be appeased. Somebody has to pay the price. He will always deliver when he says judgment is coming, but the, this one time he sent his son to take the judgment from you. That's the good news. I am sympathetic to a people who live in a Canaanite culture because I'm one of them. It's hard, isn't it? Can we just say it's really hard to do? Jesus Christ empowers us, not so we can do it perfectly, but he changes us from the inside and makes us peculiar, makes us different so that we can have victory. And one versus a thousand is nothing to us. No temptation is too big for us when Jesus dwells in us. All we need to do is acknowledge that that's the situation, that I need that, that I need to go to Christ for my forgiveness and I need to go to him for change. How are you being molded? Are you being molded by us, the people in this room? Or are you being molded by Christ? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Friends, Jesus died for you. 
And that's really good news. And if you go to him and you walk with him, he will not only forgive you, he will make you different. He will give you victory. And then like we did last week, like we're gonna do next week, he will take you by the hand and walk you through all the good things you've inherited because you are a son or daughter of the King Most High. Is that good news? It is. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. God, it's, a, it's maybe, a, maybe a prayer I've, I've not prayed before, but I do thank you that you get angry when we sin. That, that you're not indifferent about our, our eternal state, that you don't desire for us to perish. So God, my prayer is, is, is that we would never experience that wrath in the way that, that Jesus did. I, I pray that, Lord, every person in here would know you, would respond to the cross and cling to you like you tell us. Lord, those words are not slight suggestions. You are asking us to, with both arms, cling to you and grab on to you for dear life because we need you. We need a savior. It's that bad. We're too prone to, to, to look exactly like the people around us. But God, you, you have so much better planned for us. You have a promise and you always keep them. God, we thank you for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.